0: Here we are above the form of Julius Caesar. It's about 50 feet below me, um, the modern street level about 50 feet down. And the archeologists have sort of unearthed this from the time of Christ and Paul. And uh, it sort of displays the Roman power and the, and the Roman system. And uh, we came here in our series on Romans because Paul writes in his letter to obey those that are in authority, and certainly all that we read and all that we know about the Romans, there's a lot of stuff that you just would not want to obey. And we even find Paul disobeying certain authorities. But why did he say it? Why Why did he talk about it, you know? In our, in our series, we're talking about hope and healing for our world. What, the Bible calls salvation. And uh, it seems like par- part of Paul's method, part of what he was saying was, you have, to, uh, you have to obey when you can. You have to be a part of society, that when people are following laws and following order, um, it brings society to some sense of order. And Paul wasn't afraid to challenge when it was wrong. Um, and he gives his life for challenging those in authority. he believes that they're wrong, he loses his life for it. But in general, the general idea is you, you gotta get along with society. You gotta do your part. He says you gotta pay your taxes. You gotta give what you owe. You gotta give respect to people that deserve respect, people in authority. He says they're placed there by God. That's really something to think about. Don't think about the exceptions to the rule, but think about the rule, that when you give respect and you give authority and you pay your taxes or you do your fair share. That's what brings peace and harmony uh, on this earth. And I believe that's what Paul's recipe was when he talked about salvation, God saving, God bringing healing to our world. more about Paul's letter to the Romans and more specifically to learn more about the emperors at the time we found ourselves traveling to the island of Capri two of the emperors actually put palaces there and the emperors discovered the island of Capri for very good reason it is stunningly beautiful and it is still being discovered by tourists around the world to this day some unbelievable sights found by their emperors and celebrated by people today. Okay, everybody, we are uh, on the island of Capri. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Young Caroline is our tour guide, and she's. Explain to us some of the significance of the historical the uh, significance of Capri. Yes, Joao. No and your yeah. uh, highness
1: so. is. Explain to everyone a little bit. That's uh, Mount Tiberius, the highest of Capri town, on top of which we can still find the ruins of Villa Jovis, Villa in which the Emperor Tiberius used to live between 27 and 37 AD.
0: Tiberius, yes, all the way back to the time of Jesus, Christ.
1: yes, yeah.
0: And then you said some of the other emperors would also come to Capri, yes,
1: even the Emperor Augustus was coming uh, to Capri, but he was not leaving uh, permanently on the island of Capri as uh, Tiberius did, so. okay. Yeah, so
0: Augustus would come here, vacation,
1: yes, spend yeah. some time, yes, and then go back to Rome, oh, yes.
0: And you were explaining why, how comes
1: because they liked this region, they used to call it Campania Felix. Felix means lucky, uh, for its natural beauties. And there are different Roman villas on the island. Uh, Till now they discovered 12. Romans ruins, uh, okay. uh, because uh, more people, you know, would have been uh, following the example of Augustus and Tiberius uh, and wanted to spend, you know, vacations on the island of Capri already
0: two thousand years ago. Uh, two thousand oh. years ago. So then Tiberius, here uh, permanently, though. Yes, permanently
1: for ten years.
0: Instead of ruling from Rome. Yes,
1: he wanted to rule the Roman Empire by living on the island of Capri, from his imperial palace. Yeah. Okay. And you were
0: saying about the, there's a jump. They call it Tiberius? Yeah,
1: they call it Tiberius Jump uh, because uh, it said that he was also cruel. Uh, a cruel? Cruel against his enemies. Yeah? Okay. It was better to be a friend of Tiberius, uh, otherwise he was throwing them from the upper part of his villa. And that's why it's called Salto di Tiberio, means Tiberius Jump, the upper part of his uh, villa.
0: Wow. Were there other emperors that came here as well, besides
1: Augustus
0: and Tiberius? Or then? No. Those two.
1: Those two, yeah. Wow. yeah. Very interesting. Thank you very very much.
0: welcome <laughs> enjoy huh. well I, I know the uh, the audio wasn't perfect in that one and we had a lot of uh, traffic uh, I don't have the kind of pole where I can just shut the island down for a video shoot you know but I but I thought it was worth uh, and I hope you could pick it up but I, I thought it was worth hearing um, this this beautiful island um, two of the emperors ruled from there and uh, well one of them completely moved there and ruled there one of them would vacation there Tiberius and uh, he was especially cruel I don't know if you picked that up but so he was known if you were an enemy of Tiberius that they would basically push you off the edge of his of his palace and uh I, I wouldn't even—I uh, don't think I would even read to you some of the other things that Tiberius was known for. But uh, you and I would think of it as inhumane, gross, cruel beyond words—the um, way that he treated some people. And so I think it's important to put that in the context as we're studying the, the Paul's letter to the Romans especially when we come to chapter 13. So before I read, um, man, do I wish, uh, man, do I wish I had, like we're two months into this letter on Romans and I wish I had two months for every chapter. I really do. Like I'm, I'm learning, you know, I went to Bible college for four years and I've been doing this for uh, 20 years plus 10 years. So I've been doing this for a long time um, And I I just find myself learning exponentially as as we try to slow down and get the context of this. So, I mean, I don't always teach this way, but once in a while I like to stop. And when we read the scriptures, ask ourselves, what was going on at the time it was written? To help us get some historical context to, you know, there was a guy writing this. Most people believe 57 AD. <clears throat> um, we also really know that Paul didn't actually write, but he dictated. So someone else was actually writing it when we say Paul wrote it. Paul would dictate. And then we know it was someone else that would deliver it. Uh, a lady named Phoebe in this case. Paul was probably in Corinth at the time, and he had yet to visit Rome, but. Of course he knew so much about Rome because people had been kicked out of Rome and as we learned in an earlier message in the series and so Paul ran into a couple of them uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth and so you can imagine Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers like Paul so Paul's traveling way uh, from the from the far eastern part of the Mediterranean, and he's making his way west, wants to get to Rome. And in in Corinth, which is modern-day Greece, he meets this couple, and they're fleeing from Rome because um, one of the emperors had kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. It just so happens that Paul's trade, was he was a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila were also tent makers. And so at a little shop somewhere there in Corinth, they must have talked as they worked to their trade. You know, Paul probably said, well, what's going on in Rome now? How was it when the emperor kicked you, uh, removed you? And then somewhere along the line, Paul decides to pen this letter that we now have in the Bible in our New Testament, we call the book of Romans. At the time, most likely, 57 AD, Nero, was the emperor now there are some nasty emperors in the in the in the legacy but they nero for the especially for the christians was at the top of the list as far as nasty so i wanted to set that all up as the reality of the context and listen to paul dictating listen to paul dictating this letter everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities For there is no authority except that which is God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? then do what is right and he will commend you for he is God's servant to you who do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities not because of the, not only because of the possibility of punishment but also because of conscience. Now, As you read this, and I told you the historical context, you got to somewhere, if you were listening, you got to go. And this is what I call a problematic passage in the Bible. Now, if you've ever read the Bible and you were paying attention, you'll know that this is one of many problematic passages. And so it is what I would call a disturbing scripture. So Part of what I want to do today, if I do a decent, halfway decent job, is I want to talk to you and give a little side lesson, a lesson within the lesson, if I can do that, about what to do with disturbing scriptures. Because here's what happens. Um, people can take a stance. They read the Bible, and they say, I had heard it somewhere in a, in a more, um, I don't know how to describe a church, but uh, a literal kind of black and white. The Bible says it, that settles it, amen. Did anybody grow up in a church like that? There's nothing to talk about here, all right? Um, And so it's like put on your seatbelt, put on your blinders, buckle in and deal with it, right? Because I found it in the Bible. And then there's a, and, and oftentimes in reaction to that, there's a whole generation that's growing up that's going, that's a bunch of nonsense, I'll use the word. And that's exactly why I'm leaving the church. And that's exactly why I'm getting away from all that kind of talk because the kind of people that just put their head down and just swallow this stuff. And what I would like to do is maybe offer you a middle ground or you don't have to just put your head down and just say, "Well, that's what it says," and so that's what I need to do. Or maybe you don't have to just totally rebel because you, you maybe there's something in the middle called wisdom. Uh, we used to call it also common sense back when we believed in that sort of thing. But what? Now, be, before I. I talk more about this, and I think there's, there's a lot that needs to be said about this. What do we do with disturbing scriptures? In this case, if Nero's in power or one of these other rulers that we've talked about, and the, Paul's saying, just submit to them, that seems problematic. By the way, Paul didn't always submit to people in authority, just so you know. So if you've ever read through the Bible, like you could read in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is um, being lowered in a basket through a window to escape the authorities because now they want him for his life. He didn't just go in and go, well, you guys want me, you got me. Why would Paul be being let down in a basket? Or why would, why would Jesus, when being confronted with an authority, uh, inherit at his trial? And Herod says, I want you to explain yourself. And Jesus refuses. Or why would the, 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 the midwives in, in Exodus when, when, when Pharaoh, who was not a nice man, not a nice authority, they were told to kill all the newborns, right? And they refused to obey. I could go on and on and on and on and on. There's plenty of civil disobedience in the Scripture. How do we reconcile these? So let me do a little side route. This could serve us all for a long time. These four little tips, what to do with a disturbing scripture. This is one I could list dozens, but you'll run across scriptures that just don't make sense to you. That doesn't seem right. And usually the first thing that we we need to acknowledge is that sometimes scripture is used poorly. Sometimes scripture is used poorly. People take a verse and they use it in a poor way, a way that perhaps is not helpful for people. Can I even stretch it further? But it's not a stretch because I'll explain. Sometimes scripture is used for evil. I have something to back it up. What did the the devil use to tempt Jesus? The scripture. Yeah, he starts quoting the scripture. And and so if the devil can use scripture to to, to try to dissuade Jesus, what you should know is that people can use the scripture for promoting evil. So you don't just put blinders on. You keep those spiritual antennas up that God gave you. And sometimes it just goes, I don't know. By the way, every once in a while you should leave here and go, I don't know. I think Chris is losing it. That's good. Honestly, if your antennas are up, I mean, you know, send me the email, whatever you need to do. But sometimes you you just don't swallow everything. God gave you that. And so you just put them up. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think he had enough coffee. Maybe he had too much coffee. But you must note the scriptures can be used poorly and are used for evil. And I could use the the scripture in where, where Satan tempts Jesus using scripture. Or you could go through some horrific human history, including people like Adolf Hitler, was not afraid of the scripture. So first of all, you have to acknowledge that it's not always used correctly. Second, you should acknowledge that it needs to be interpreted. The scripture needs to be interpreted. You remember when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, how do you read it? What does that mean? mean, It doesn't say just that you read it. How do you read it? When you read a verse, how do you read it? What, what comes out of it for you? Certainly there are some that are so wonderful and you can just take them on their face and, and you know, uh, you know love, uh, love does no harm. We're going to read it in just a few minutes. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's pretty straightforward, kind of easy. Usually it just kind of goes and settles in here nicely. But some need to be interpreted, understood, and along with that, you could you could say that perhaps your interpretation is not perfect, and that it's a slight possibility that the way you understand it is not the perfect way. By the way, the tradition that that Jesus and Paul grew up in, the Jewish tradition, was there were multiple ways that you would interpret the scripture. Some people teach against that now, but I just want you to know that that's the context that they grew up in. But what I do, if this is helpful at all, sometimes I read something and I don't get it, and it really frustrates me. Do you, I don't know. Some of you don't care because you never read the Bible. But anyway, if you do, I mean, sometimes you read it and you're like, but that's just frustrating because that just doesn't make sense to me. I'll give you a little tip. Just take it and just set it over here on the side. Hmm? Does anybody have like some glasses in your house that you never use? Some china that just sits over on the side? Just treat it as precious. Like, like, like I don't know, I'm just not going to touch this. I might break it. Now, you don't throw it out. How many got some sitting there? How many of you have some stuff sitting there since you, you got married when you were 26 and they gave it to you and it's been sitting? It's still there. And, and, and every three years you dust it out. Now, some scripture, just put it over here. And one of the things that you're doing, listen, is you're acknowledging your humility. You're acknowledging your humility that I might not know everything. Just sit it aside. Here's a funny thing. We love to know. Don't we love to know? I can't tell you how, especially when I was younger, people would come to me and ask me like a Bible verse, well, what, what exactly does this mean? And I would just spout out all the stuff that I knew. I was so proud to tell them all that I know. But we love to know. Huh? Talk to a computer guy. Ask him a question about computers. Well, I'm so glad you asked me about the flux capacitor. Yes, uh, what you want to do? We love to know. That's Okay. Ask a guy about baseball, he'll start quoting off his stats. You know, ask a mechanic. and We love to know. Ask a person that's good at cooking and, oh, well, what you need to do? Right? We love it. We love to know, and that's okay. But Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Here's an idea. Try this one on for size. I don't know I tell you what as a pastor people hate when I give that answer they hate it Pastor guess, what does this mean I go I don't know let's put it way up there on the top shelf where you dust never what does this mean I'm not sure don't we love to be sure who loves to be right who's married to somebody that loves to be right it's like, we love to be right. We just love it. It just feels. My people. I'm right. Let me tell you how right I am. Boy, well, in spiritual things, we really like to be right. But the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. And you start to realize maybe it's. Even mature to say, "I don't know." I don't know. Want to practice? Let's practice. One, two, three. I don't know. know. Go figure. You don't know everything. That's okay. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help you land the plane in a minute. Don't worry. Because, but I gotta know. But. Just here you go. You know, you know, the, there is a scripture too. By the way, Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, I think verse six, and Paul writes like this. He says, "You know, the letter of uh, uh, the letter of the law or the scripture it kills, but the spirit gives life." What does that mean? It's a scripture. So if you say, it doesn't matter just as long as you have scripture, then it's good. It doesn't matter anything else. It doesn't matter. No, it's just re-. The letter kills. So that's not good. How many know killing's not good? Let's start there. <laughs> so if you have scripture and you're following the letter of it, you're killing people. Anybody ever been killed by a scripture? I met some. Part of the reasons that we opened the doors of Orchard Grove Church was for that very reason. People that got slayed by a scripture. Like I made a mistake or I did this or I did that or I didn't follow a particular rule or I didn't understand it correctly. Wham! I got the hammer thrown on me. I feel beat down. I feel demoralized. The letter kills. (laughs) Paul wrote that because he did kill for the letter. This person's not following this exactly correctly. What did Paul do? He went on on the, the hunt. He hunted people down. The spirit of it gives life. What is that saying? we got to find the spirit of it. Find the spirit of it. What's the spirit of a scripture? The other thing you could do is like you could take my words. I give a message on Sunday, and I always say something bad. I always say something wrong. You can just count it. I go home, and I go... I just tell myself, stop talking, but that's what I do, so I have to talk. (laughs) Just stop. But I go home and I think about, why did I say that? Why did I say it that way? But, But here's what I can hope, that you got the spirit of it. That you can walk away and go, I think I knew what he was saying. Anybody here ever been talking to your kids and you're trying to get something across and you said the wrong thing? But all you can do is hope that the spirit of it got out. That they understand your spirit. That you, you aren't going to say everything exactly right. Ever been in a conversation with a spouse? <laughs> that didn't come out right. That did not come out right. How many wish there was like a little redo button? Or like a little, you know how on TV you like, can I give it like a 15 second delay? Just beep, beep, beep. You say it and it doesn't go out until you clear it all. It's already out there, but you gotta. You got hmm? But if you love somebody, you're like, yeah, but, but I got the spirit of what you were saying. Hmm? So, what do you do with a difficult scripture? You acknowledge that scripture can be used poorly, you acknowledge that it needs to be interpreted, and that your interpretation may not be the perfect one. You can set it aside and think, it for, think about it for a while. Let the Spirit speak to you. You could just say, I don't know, and let it sit on the shelf for a really long time. But finally, you filter it with love. Everybody say, filter it. One, two, three. Yeah. Filter it. Just filter it with love. Later on in this passage, Paul writes this. all the commandments, whatever they might be. He goes through them. He's like coveting, murder, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever other commandments, he goes, they're all summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you are thinking, I think I've heard that here before. You know why? Because it's all over the scripture. It's in Romans. It's in Galatians. It's in the Gospels. Jesus is saying it. Paul is saying it. Everybody's saying it, and they're saying it in different ways, but it's all coming back to one thing, and he says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, and this is one that we need to repeat because sometimes you get lost in the weeds. Some of you guys are in business or gals in business. You know that they have a thing called an executive summary. I mean, like, I don't want to read all the details right now, like it's another day, but could you just give me the, the main points? Thankfully, Paul does this for us. He goes, whatever the laws there might be, he says, they're all summed up in this one rule, one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. People have gotten way out of bounds. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's practice it. Let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Love your neighbor as sums up the whole thing. What's it about? Boy, I could have saved a lot of money in four years going to college. What's it all about? Love your neighbor as yourself. I hear you've been going to that, uh, that church in the warehouse over there, the, the non church church. Yeah. What the, what, what the heck's going on there? What's it about? Love your neighbor as yourself. No, no, but there's got to be a bunch of other stuff, right? Like, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, why go past Jesus or Paul? Why take it any further than those two? Beautiful dedication today. Ah, what a beautiful family. What a beautiful young boy. I love all the traditions in church. I do. I love them. I love sharing the Lord's Supper. I love baptizing people as adults. I love all of it. But everything just boils down to one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when I find a disturbing scripture, I got to get it in the filter and go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But Paul writes this next. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That makes sense. Ready? It's like the Christian Hippocratic oath do no harm. Do no harm. That's not even that hard, really. Just just try not to hurt people, be nice. Uh, yesterday, a buddy of mine took me to a football game, making our way into the stadium, you know, and, you know, it's crowded and cold, and all of us sheep are going in there to the slaughter, and <laughs> in line for the, the elevators there, and then, you know, all of a sudden, like, we're all there, we're all cold, and we're all in line. Not all of a sudden... Mm. You you know these people? Let's go right by. Look down, just keep going. All of us in line, we get that look on our face. I'm waiting for someone to clock them. No one does it. No one does it. It's the world coming to. I get in the elevator and there we stood. Just don't do that kind of stuff. Just don't do that stuff to people. Like, if they're standing there, then let them go. Because they've been standing there. Now, I've never done anything to offend anybody, so I'm in the clear, but you see these things in the world. Just don't harm people. And that would really, that would just kind of include any level of harm, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be like saying something nasty about them. That hurts, doesn't it? Who grew up with. Sticks and stones will break my but words will never, right? And other lies that you learned in kindergarten, right? And it was some way for the teacher to get you to toughen up and, you know, for the teacher really to not have to deal with it. They taught you that. But as an adult, you know, boy, that's not true. Words can hurt powerfully. Who here could cool down your thumbs a little bit? Hmm? Hurts? Ah, too bad. I'm behind a screen. Still hurts? Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what do you do with the disturbing scripture? You, you, you filter it with love. So that was the lesson inside of the lesson. Now I'm going to get to the lesson. Oh, we're out of time. All right. Well, uh, let me give you the thing I think was the main thing. Here's what I think was the main thing. If Paul could write that with those kind of people in power, Nero... I think Paul was writing something general that needs to be, that really needs to be embraced. It needed to be embraced then. I'm sure that's why he wrote it. And I think it needs to be embraced today. Respect and honor. Respect and honor. Let's take the exceptions and let's get them out of the way right now. Are there some people that just aren't really, really worth it? I mean, yeah, perhaps, you know, if a guy's telling you to slaughter babies, you know, maybe you you disobey that one. Okay. So we know there are exceptions. Jesus didn't follow all the rules. We know that there was exceptions when he worked on the Sabbath. He did things that he was not allowed to do because he had common sense. So no one's saying you read the Bible and you throw your common sense out. Let's not do that. But, but. Respect and honor. Something felt good in that service today when we honored the veterans. Something felt right inside of you. Something felt right. That's how we're built. Respect and honor. Because later on, what Paul says is this he goes, and, and by the way, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. Here you go. Huh. How many got a thought in your head right now? Huh? And and before you before it goes from here to here, because you don't have the clicker, the bleeper, you don't have the 14-second delay. Pause. What was a taxing system like then? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you don't you don't push back, you don't share your opinion. I'm not saying that. in general what happens is we get so caught up on the exception we have this reason why we're not that we miss the general idea. I was thinking about today when I was driving here, you know, and I'm driving and I'm thinking, "Man, this road's expensive." What do most of us think? This road is garbage. Huh? Anybody here ever built a road? I'll take you a minute. Now, Do we need to improve? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you wake up every day and people slam on you with that message. This is garbage, that's garbage, complain about this, nag about that. Okay. Okay. Hmm? What if we just glide gently into that pothole and glide back out? This is groovy, man. This is groovy. I dropped Vicky off early this morning. And I was turning the corner and it just struck me. It's like I turned the corner and I went over. There was, a, there was a little tiny, like a tributary, not even a river, not even a creek, just a little tiny thing. But you know, when you do that, you got to put a culvert in, you got to put a bridge. I mean, if, if you've ever been anywhere close to construction, it's a massively expensive project. And I, my car went over it like that. I'm like, well, that, that was probably 800 grand. And your car's flying like this. You're flying over millions of dollars. I don't, know. I don't think we get that enough. I don't think we just wake up and are grateful. We gripe about our taxes and go ahead and give your point of view. I understand. I understand. Don't email me. Don't email me about this. Uh, but it just, just, I know, but like, a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of like, man thank you cuz i can't build a road by myself you can't build so it's like coming together and do they waste money yeah 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 but hold on before you get to, i'm not oh boy the email i just oh god <laughs> i'm not promoting waste and fraud okay so just but has anybody here ever tried to cook a really large meal for a bunch of people and you're never sure who's going to show up or what time? Anybody here ever to throw some stuff out? You nasty, wasteful person. <laughs> or is it what? It's hard when you have a big thing. Years ago, we, were, we went to Haiti. I remember we went to Haiti right after the earthquake down there. Man, what a devastating earthquake. And we did like. Like we did with Katrina and we've done other different, you know, things. And I, But I remember going to Haiti and I, I just remember this feeling. Because I remember when we went to Katrina and like there were church vans and it was just amazing. I mean, people were fleeing out of there. And honestly, you're going down the freeway and you'd see church vans. Because, you know, like at the little, they tell you what their church is and their pastor's name and all that. And they're going down there. And, and, and then you saw the military going in. That's what you saw. But I remember going to Haiti. Couldn't drive the church van there. It was tougher. It was tougher to help. It just was. And we came in, and we had blue tarps, and we had rice, and we were doing what we could do. And I rented a van from the other side of the island and drove it over, and all y'all sent money, and we took supplies, and we helped people the best that we could. But I looked out in the harbor, there comes this big military this ship, it's a floating hospital. Like we can't do that. That takes the big we. we just did. And I was sitting there, and I watched, I watched our military drop in. I mean, I'd never forget it. I watched the guys say, dropped in. I said, "What are these guys doing over here?" Like, well, they're building the hospital. Like in front of my eyes, and like, yeah. This the boys standing like this in the perimeter and bam. Tents and boom and boom and equipment and bam, and bam and bam and bam. And the hospitals appearing in front of my eyes. Never felt so good about paying my taxes. I know it's not perfect. I think there was an election this week or something <laughs> i know it's not perfect but try to find some gratitude down in there you know and still do your thing you know do your thing but i'll just say this let's all try to do it a little bit nicer hmm? who's for nice I'll just close with this. Um, Charlie and I watched Pinocchio this week, and like I, I realized, like I don't even know. I don't even know the story of Pinocchio. I just knew like he gets a big nose for lying. That's the only thing I knew, and I don't think I'd ever watched the story. So I sat and watched the whole story with Charlie. And 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 Pinocchio joins these boys who are going to Pleasure Island. And they're so stoked, Pleasure Island. And I mean, if you, if you know it, there's, there's carnival rides and it's, and they're just stoked because when you go to Pleasure Island, you can do whatever you want. No one tells you, no, there's no governing authorities. You can do whatever you want. And they're so pumped to get there. You can break things. You can stand on things. You can climb. And they get there and they get on a ride. And the first thing that happens is the guy hands Pinocchio and his friend a Huge root beer. Pinocchio's like, wow. Like Breakfast. It doesn't matter. You can drink the whole thing for breakfast. Like, and the kid next to him is like, Pinocchio's eyes are getting bigger. And then they're like, you can have all the root beer that you want. And Pleasure Island, Pinocchio learns very quickly, is a lot less like heaven and a lot more like hell when everybody's just doing whatever they want. Charlie looks at me and she goes, Pleasure Island's not nice, is it, Dad? I go, oh, I don't think so, dear. I think that's what Paul was saying. We can't have Pleasure Island. We can't have everybody doing whatever you want, anytime that you want. You gotta, there's got to be some structured order. Contribute to the order not to the chaos. Hmm? And we can do a whole series on pushing back and how to push back and how to do it wonderfully, which I think you should. I think the cross was the ultimate pushback, by the way. Hmm? Hmm? So don't think I'm against pushing back. But it might be more... (laughs) I think some people get pleasure out of pushing back they're doing their thumbs but they're raising the middle finger (laughs) I think people get pleasure out of it but the ultimate pushback might have been the cross no against the system against this against injustice but it wasn't pleasure that was no pleasure island friend it was costly Years ago, I actually got the privilege of bringing him to the stage. Some of you met Dr. Anderson, but I met him coincidentally golfing and he's, he's in his, well into his 90s now and he was telling me about protesting with Dr. King and I, I finally had to ask him, I just, I just said, I did, can I just ask you, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I just, because he was telling me about getting locked up and all this stuff and he was just trying to, for civil, and he goes, I said, I, are you bitter? He goes, oh, no, no. We were, we were taught, Martin taught us not to be bitter. He taught us not to be bitter. Wouldn't that be great if we could push back without bitter? And I learned something. I had no, I never knew this. He said, you had to, go to, you had to go to training to protest. You had to go to church, sit in a class, to march on the streets. It wasn't just any Tom, Dick, and Harry go walking around with Dr. King. You had to learn how to behave yourself. You had to have it in here. We're we're so out of time. Let's stand. We'll have a closing prayer. prayer. Land the plane, Chris. Land it. They're saying out there, land the plane. Hmm. God is good. You know, Jesus is. Would it be trite if I said that's who I want to be like? You know? That's who I want to be like. I want to be as tough as he was and as tender as he That's what I want to be like. You know? I always say thick skin and a soft heart. I think that's the toughest thing to achieve in this life. Who here wants to be like Jesus, huh? That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be like. Loving God, we pause in your presence. We thank you for your grace. Help us all to do our part, to obey whenever we can, to do our best, to be a team player in this thing called life. And when we need to push back, help us to do it with grace, dignity, and the spirit of Jesus. With love oozing from every pore of our body. It's a tall one. It's a tall order. But give us the grace to do so. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Amen.